verses 1 through 17. That's okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. This is the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness." Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, you who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophet of the prophets who were present on that day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast, neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit and the ground shall give its produce and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations. O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again, have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These these are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oaths. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord's Lord of hosts. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. I remember growing up on TV, I saw this movie 
called Brewster's Millions. It was a, a remake of an earlier movie by the same name, but the, the version I saw starred Richard Pryor and John Candy. And the gist of the movie, if you haven't seen it, was a man had to spend $30 million in 30 days in order that he could receive a $300 million inheritance that was to be his. It was funny. It had John Candy in it. I always thought John Candy was funny growing up as a kid. But you can imagine the sort of blessing that this would appear to the, to the individual. And people all around us today still are hoping for this kind of blessing. That's why we play the lottery, right? The Powerball. It's up to however 100 million, right? What's the hope? I don't know. I'm, just, I'm not sure if it is right now or not. But I feel like every now and again, all of a sudden, it starts to hear this buzz. The Powerball is up to this. Someone going to Florida, buy me a ticket or whatever it is. I don't, I don't know what, what it is. Or people go to casinos and what's the hope? If I clink enough coins in this machine, what's it going to do? It's going to change my life. My life's going to be different. I'm going to have these blessings that come down in the form of shiny lights and clinking coins. The hope is for a better and different kind of life. One that is free from the cares of money where we can buy what we want, whenever we want. This is an easier life. We don't have to be worried about bills or the house payment or how we're going to have a car or, or whatever it may be. This is the good life, right? A life free from worry. That's the thought anyway. These are the kind of blessings that I think the world strives after. But the Bible particularly here Zechariah talks about a different kind of blessing a better blessing last week we talked about this group of people who came from Bethel and they asked uh, the, this question do we have to or continue to do these fasts that remember the temple can we stop them and we saw that the really the question was about what is True religion, because in God's response, he rebuked uh, their ritualistic piety. He said, you're not motivated by love. You're not doing these fasts for me. You're doing them for yourself. It wasn't motivated by love. It wasn't motivated by a concern for their fellow man. And he rebuked them. And we may have been left with maybe a somewhat of an unbalanced feeling. We see this rebuke. But as we continue in Zechariah, we see that Zechariah is continuing in this theme. He's continuing to answer their question. Doesn't the Lord call us to receive blessings? It's not just about what we do. Yes, we fast and we hope to receive things, but why do we hope to receive things? Why do we hope to receive blessings? Because the Bible tells us, as you are following after me, as you are living before me, I will bless you. This is what Old Testament Israel would have known from the very early on, the giving of the law. If you follow my statutes, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you to the furthest generation of your family. If you fail to live before me, I'm going to curse you. 
There were blessings and curses of the covenant. They would have understood that if they were living rightly before God, they would have been blessed. So what are we to be worried about? What is the listeners here to be worried about blessings? What are they to understand about these blessings? And Zechariah is going to show us. So as we come to our text today, we'll see three things. First, we are going to see a God who blesses. Second, we're going to see because he blesses, he is to be believed. That's not, I don't like the way I just said that. But we are to believe in this God who blesses. And then third, we are to serve this God who blesses. Let's begin by looking at a God who blesses. We have just seen and Even as the text starts, we are reminded of the judgment that has come down upon the people of God. Even before exile, the temple was allowed to be destroyed. He permitted the exile. And you can, once again, if we put ourselves into Israel's shoes, we can remember or we can be empathetic to their situation. God has cursed us. He has allowed us to be taken away. Do we still have his favor? Are we at, even still, can we claim to be the people of God? And in response to these wonderings, he gives them several promises. First, he says, I'm going to return to the city. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. This was the same promise given before the temple was being rebuilt. In Zechariah 1.16, that I'm going to return to the city. I am going to give you blessings when I return. And in this is an implication. The rebuilding of Jerusalem, the rebuilding of the temple will be a success. God will see it to its completion. And as he rebuilds his temple, as he comes and dwells in his temple, he will bring truth and righteousness to that temple. He will bring the things that their fathers lacked. Their fathers had turned from God. They had turned from his ways. They had stopped following after him. And as we've seen in Sunday morning and Sunday school, they're worshiping these idols. They're going before the, the Baal, Baal and the Malak and the Ishtar, and they're worshiping these idols. And he says, they turned from me. And so I turned from them. Remember, that was last week. But he says, you are going to rebuild my temple and I am going to come and I am going to bring you truth and I am going to dwell with you. John Calvin says it, says it this way. God is never idle while he dwells in his people. For he cleanses away every kind of impurity, every kind of deceit. That where he dwells may ever be a holy place. Therefore, the prophet not only promises here an external blessing to the Jews, but also shows that God performs what is far more excellent, that he cleanses the place where he intends to dwell. And that habitation which he chooses, he casts out every kind of filth. As God returns to his temple, what does he do? He removes sinfulness, his Presence can't dwell there if sinfulness dwells there as well. But let's stop for a second. 
how does this work for us today? Uh, we can understand on some level uh, that, okay, the temple had been destroyed because the people had turned from God. Now the temple's being rebuilt, and God is going to return to his temple. And that's well and good, Daniel, but what does that mean for us? How can we identify uh, with this today? And I think the first place we have to turn is to Jesus. John 17, 17 says this, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. God's truth makes all the difference. We are to sanctify one another in truth. What does that mean to sanctify? We are to make each other or make others more holy by bringing the truth that is the word of God. And as we bring truth, what happens? Places, people are affected. I just quoted for you a, a quote by John Calvin. Do you know much about the life of John Calvin? John Calvin was French, but he's probably most famous for the reformation he brought to Geneva, which is Switzerland, right? Geneva, before John Calvin, was a place of great immorality. John Calvin was called there. He was asked to come there by the leaders of Geneva. And he came there and he ministered. James Montgomery Boyce said this about Calvin's time in Geneva. He had no money, no influence, and no weapons but the word of God. But he preached from the Bible every day. And as he did, under the power of his preaching, the city began to change. As the Genevan people acquired knowledge of God's word and allowed it to influence their behavior, their city became a model city from which the gospel spread to the rest of Europe, Great Britain, and the New World. There has probably never been a better example of extensive moral and social reform than the transformation of Geneva under John Calvin, and it was accomplished almost entirely by the preaching of God's word. When the word of God comes to a place, when it is preached and heard, it brings truth and it brings change. So in a sense, we say this, how does that matter for us now? What does that mean for Pell City? What does that mean for Lakewood? As the word of God is preached rightly before the world, it brings change. It's, just, it's true for churches. It's true for individuals. When we focus on the word of God, it has a great impact on our lives. I'm sure that any of us who have been Christians for any amount of time know of times where we're just not there. We're just, we just don't have time for God's word. We just don't have time for prayer. And what seems to be the inevitable result of that? Slowly but surely, things kind of start falling apart. We take steps further and further back. But then we also go through those times where we're in the word of God and we're in prayer. And that doesn't mean that our lives are all of a sudden fixed, does it? It doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything's going well and right, does it? 
Because I think there's times, even in my own life, where I've been in the Word of God and they've been the hardest times of my life. But how am I able to move through those? Because I'm in the Word. I know God's truth. I know His promises. I hear Him speak about actively in His Word. He has promised that we who are now His temple, that He is going to dwell in us. And as he dwells in us, he brings his truth. He brings his righteousness. But not only this, he gives us another blessing. If we look at verses 4 and 5 of chapter 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and women shall again sit in seats, the streets of Jerusalem. There will be peace, he goes on to say later. There will be righteousness. In the city. He speaks of a prosperity and a peace that is to come. When can old men and children just sit in the streets? When times of war, this is not something that you see. In times of oppression and all these things, you don't see this. This is a, a, a city that even is currently not full of senior citizens or young people. There's just not a lot of them at this point. They've been in exile. They've been under just times of hardship. He says, I will bless you with the repopulation of the city. There will be old men and young children. But not only that, he says, I'm going to bless you with repopulations from the, from the nations. There will be those who come in from the east and the west. And they're going to come here to do what? To serve me. To worship me. Over and over again he says, look, you're a remnant now. You're just a remnant of this people. But there's coming a day when I will bring in many to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And they shall be my people and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. This is the promise that he's giving to them. He is coming. He will purify the city. But when will these things be fulfilled? We know they certainly weren't fulfilled in Zechariah's day. Zechariah was actually killed on the Temple Mount. He was martyred on the Temple Mount. Zechariah did not know peace and prosperity in his city, did he? They're not now realized. And uh, we can look in some ways and we can see, well, by the time Jesus got there, there seems to be a certain amount of prosperity. But even then, they're still under the oppression of Rome. So when are these promises going to take place? The title of my sermon is A Present Promise of a Future Blessing. He is telling them about a blessing that is coming in the future. In fact, many see this, and I see this, as being fulfilled in the New Testament church. Galatians 6.16 says this, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. We are Israel. We are the new Israel. This promise has implication. These promises have implications for the Christian church. It's in the temple. 
that he keeps his promises. It is in the church and through his people that he brings spiritual prosperity. We are the nations that have been brought in from the east and from the west. We have been brought in and we have made up Judah and Israel. In fact, in chapter 2 of Zechariah, we saw the same promise, didn't we? We saw it was a future promise. Jerusalem as being a city without walls, with God's present in all his glory. And we all join in this work of the building of the temple until the end of days when God will shine in the brightness of the heavens. We are still about the work of building his temple. Even today, he has promised us that he will be with us. But the one thing that I think is true throughout scripture is that when God gives his people a promise, there is always a response. And I think particularly the response we see here is to believe. They are to believe in God and they are to believe in the one who has given the promises. Now this can be a very hard thing to do. Remember Israel at this time, this remnant, this ragged band. And so far, they're okay, now they're two years into the rebuilding of the temple, but they're still not very prosperous. They're still under the thumb of foreign rulers. And the promises of God seem far out of reach. They seem very marvelous. Marvelous To some, they may even seem impossible. The thing that you're telling us will happen is impossible. But Zechariah, Zechariah reminds them, one of the difficulties in reading this passage is that you have to over and over and over again say this phrase, the Lord of hosts. And in fact, they oftentimes come right after each other. Uh, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts. And it's over and over again. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts. Why does Zechariah say this over and over again? The one who is speaking is the Lord of hosts. What is he trying to remind them? He is giving them promises. He's giving them a promise of a blessing. And in light of their doubt that maybe these things won't actually come true, he's reminding them of who's speaking. This is not Zechariah who's speaking. This is not Daniel who's speaking. This is the Lord of hosts. And he is speaking to you. He is giving to you these great promises. And therefore, they are trustworthy. They are to be believed. And so we are to continue the work in his kingdom, knowing that his promises will be fulfilled. They will succeed. And we are to work with strong arm, knowing that there's no doubt in, in our minds. His presence will fill the temple. It not might fill the temple. It might maybe fill the temple. It will fill the temple. And so we can ask that question again. What is true religion? It's serving God in confidence, knowing that he has promised to bless us. And is motivated by a devotion to a God 
who is right and true. The reality is this, that the Bible never condemns anywhere the desire to be blessed by God. It is not a bad thing to desire to be blessed by God. In fact, when we desire to be blessed by God, we're just simply taking him at his word. But here's the problem for us. We don't desire to be blessed by God in the way that God wants to bless us. Do we? We want God to bless us the way we want us to bless us. We want him to bless us the way that is right for our minds. We're to take him out of his word. We're to acknowledge he is the Lord of hosts. He is the source of our salvation. And that's to be a motivation for us. God at times holds his favor. He withholds his blessings. This was true for Israel. We saw this in Israel. It was characterized for them by economic depression, internal and external strife. But they are intended and they are reminded there to be a blessing and they have been given a great blessing and we have been given a great ble- great blessing we have been given the greatest blessing salvation by grace in Jesus Christ he's the one who initiates this grace and as we receive it we are to respond to it this grace that produces faith Are we seeking the blessings of God? Or is our life all about self-absorbed narcissism? Is it all about us? People who just want to receive but never want to give. Understanding the nature of who our God is. And as we understand that nature, that he is a God who gives himself to his people. He receives our love in return and he expects us to give ourselves to him as we receive eternal life. He is not opposed to the love of self. He is opposed to self-worship. We cannot be self-worshipping. In the end, that is self-destroying, but we have to we have to love him and take his blessings for, as, for what they are. C.S. Lewis says it this way, and I wonder if this is not true of a lot of us. The problem with most people today is not that they want too much, but that they settle for too little. It's not that they want too much, but that they settle for too little. Are you settling in your Christian walk? Are you settling for the meager empty, vapid blessings of this world. Are you? How do we do this? Well, you know what? I I could spend this time in, in prayer. I could spend it in God's word. But I, I just need to go work right now. I could get up a little bit earlier and I could spend some time in God's word. I can spend some time with him, but I just need a little bit more sleep. 
And if I just get a little bit more sleep, and if I just get a little bit more money, and if I can just get a little bit bigger house, and if I can just get a little bit bigger TV, a little bit bigger car, and then maybe a boat, and then maybe a little bit bigger house, and are we settling for the empty blessings of this world? Are we settling for too little? And not wanting what is truly ours in Christ. The blessings that he has promised to give us. Do we long for the glory of God? Is that something that you can honestly sit here right now and say, I long for the glory of God. I long for it. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Do we long for that? Our confession begins by saying this, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Do you long for that glory? Do you long for that enjoyment? We seek as Christians the greatest blessing imaginable. The blessing of knowing the God of all creation. The blessing of walking in his ways. The blessing of finding pleasure through Jesus Christ, his son and our savior. This is the blessings that he has given to us. And we're settling for crumbs. For waste. The things of this world are passing. They are fading. They could be gone like that. But the things eternal, they never fade. In a moment, we're going to come and we're going to partake in this table. This table is a reminder of the blessings that are ours. It says, Jesus Christ, in spite of your sinfulness... The very son of God came and he died for you that you might receive his blessing. And yet you and I at times we fight and we scrap for the crumbs of this world when we could be feasting at the wedding supper of the lamb we have a God who blesses us, who gives us his presence, who gives us his truth, who gives to us his righteousness and peace. And we are to believe in him. We are to be confronted with him in his word. And we are to serve him. He is our Lord and King, and he is worthy of our service. Zechariah. And his, the people he spoke to were promised something. They were promised something that was to come. Well, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you have received 
that promise. That promise is yours. We must believe them to be true. We must rest in his truth. We must rest in his righteousness. And we must not fail to believe that he is indeed blessing us. He has blessed us. He will be blessing us as his people. But we must be working in his temple. Building it each and every day. And he will bring peace and prosperity to his people. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for what Jesus has accomplished for us. Lord, would we not settle? Would we not settle for the emptiness of this world? But would we claim rightly that which you have given and promised to us? We pray in Jesus' most holy name. Amen.